0: We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning section of the Friday, December 2nd, 2022 episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. Uh, I hope you've had a wonderful week and that you continued throughout the week to do your best, to do all you do for the glory of God. That's a New Westminster shorter catechism. Very first question. What is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? So, um, I would definitely pray that you keep on doing that and pray that I would too, um, that we would strive constantly to do so. Um, and that you're looking forward to a good weekend, uh, Wife and I are looking at going to a wedding of the daughter of a good, very, very close friend of ours. Um, Looking forward to that, not looking forward to the drive, but it's not horrific. Um, But looking forward to getting to spend time with them. Um, Unfortunately, it is going to make us miss church this weekend. We're not thrilled about that, but we will definitely be uh, following up, watching the sermon afterwards or watching the the church service later on in the day because I want to keep track of what Pastor Jay is preaching on. Absolutely, working through uh, Matthew. So um, let's see, we'll go ahead and get started. We're going to open up this morning with the sixth day morning prayer. It's called the Gospel. O thou most high, creator of the ends of the earth, governor of the universe, judge of all men, head of the church, savior of sinners, thy greatness is unsearchable, thy goodness infinite, thy compassions unfailing, thy providence boundless thy mercies ever new. We bless thee for the words of salvation. How important, suitable, encouraging are the doctrines, promises, and invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, but in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. Weak, but here we learn, that help is found in one that is mighty, poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches. Blind, but we find he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy son is our only refuge, foundation, hope, confidence. We depend upon his death, rest in his righteousness, desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds. His love reign in our affections. His cross inflame us with ardor. Let us as Christians fill our various situations in life, escape the snares to which they expose us, Discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances. Enjoy with moderation their advantages. Improve with diligence their usefulness. And may every place and company we are in be benefited by us. Amen. All right, And our morning devotional here. So it's the December 2nd devotional uh, morning portion of it. And the text for it is Song of Solomon 4.7. Or as I prefer to refer to it, the Song of Songs thou art all fair, my love. The Lord's admiration of his church is very wonderful, and his description of her beauty is very glowing. She is not merely fair, but all fair. <clears throat> Excuse me. He views her in himself, washed in his sin blood, and clothed in his meritorious righteousness, and he considers her to be full of comeliness and beauty. No wonder that such is the case, since it it is but his own perfect excellency that he admires. For the holiness, glory, and perfection of his church are his own glorious garments on the back of his own well-beloved spouse. She is not simply pure or well-proportioned. She is positively lovely and fair. She has actual merit. Her deformities of sin are removed, but more, she has through her Lord obtained a meritorious righteousness by which an actual beauty is conferred, is conferred upon her. Excuse me, I've left those two words off. Believers have a positive righteousness given to them when they become accepted in the beloved from Ephesians 1 6. Nor is the church barely lovely. She is superlatively so. Her Lord styles her, thou fairest among women. She has a real worth and excellence which cannot be rivaled by all the nobility and royalty of the world. If Jesus could exchange his elect bride for all the queens and empresses of earth, or even for the angels in heaven, he would not, for he puts her first and foremost, fairest among women. Like the moon she far outshines the stars, nor is this an opinion which he is ashamed of, for he invites all men to hear it. He sets a behold before it, a special note of exclamation inviting and arresting attention. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Song of Solomon four one his opinion. He publishes abroad even now. And one day from the throne of his glory, he will avow the truth. He will avow the truth of it before the assembled universe. Come ye blessed of my father. Matthew 25, 34 will be his solemn affirmation of the loveliness of his elect. All right, and now into our reading. We've now moved into 2 Chronicles. We're going to start with 2 Chronicles 1 today. Now Solomon, the son of David, strengthened himself over his kingdom, and Yahweh, <clears throat> sorry, and Yahweh his God with him was, I'm sorry, and Yahweh his God was with him and highly exalted him. And Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and to the judges, and to every leader in all Israel, the heads of the father's households. Then Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place, which was at Gibeon. For God's tent of meeting was there, which Moses, the servant of Yahweh, had made in the wilderness. However, David had brought up the ark of God from Kiriath-Jarim to the place he had prepared for it. For he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. Now the bronze altar, which Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made was there before the tabernacle of Yahweh. And Solomon and the assembly sought it out. And Solomon went up there before Yahweh to the bronze altar, which was at the tent of meeting, and offered 1,000 burnt offerings on it. In that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I should give to you. Then Solomon said to God, You have shown great loving kindness to my father David, and have made me king in his place. Now, O Yahweh God, let your promise to my father David endure for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge, that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can do justice for this great people of yours? And God said to Solomon, Because you had this in your heart, and did not ask for riches, wealth, or glory, or the life of those who hate you, nor have you even asked for for long life, but you have asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may do justice for my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge have been given to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and glory such as none of the kings who were before you had nor nor those who will come after you. So Solomon went from the high place which was at Gibeon from the tent of meeting to Jerusalem, and he reigned over Israel. And Solomon gathered chariots of horsemen and he had 1,400 chariots chariots and 1,200 horsemen, and he stationed them in the chariot cities, and with the king in Jerusalem. The king also made silver and gold as plentiful as stones in Jerusalem, and he made cedars as plentiful as sycamore trees that are in the Shephelah. Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and from Kew. The king's merchants procured them from Kew for a price. And they imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And by the same means, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Aram. All right, I'm going to take a quick drink of coffee here. Going back to a little bit of the decaf. The Tacta Squatch <clears throat> caffeinated dark blend that um, Black Rival Coffee does is very, very good, but I still kind of react to the caffeine. So, all right. So our next reading is going to be first John one, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and touched with our hands concerning the word of life and the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we are writing, so that our joy may be made complete. And this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not do the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. All right, and now Micah 7. Woe is me, for I am like the fruit-pickers, like the grape-gatherers. There is not a cluster of grapes to eat, or a first-ripe fig which my soul desires. The Holy One has perished from the land, and there is no upright person among men. All of them lie in wait for bloodshed. Each of them hunts the other, other with a net. Concerning evil, both hands do it well. The Prince asks, also the Judge, for a payment, and a great man speaks the craving of his soul. So they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright like a thorn hedge. The day when you post your watchman, your punishment will come. At that time, their panic will happen. Do not believe in a neighbor. Do not have confidence in a close companion. From her who lies in your bosom, guard the openings of your mouth. For son treats father as a wicked fool. Daughter rises up against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for Yahweh. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not be glad over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I inhabit the darkness, Yahweh is a light for me. I will bear the rage of Yahweh because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my case and does justice for me. He will bring me out to the light. And I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is Yahweh your God? My eyes will look on her. At that time she will be trampled down like mire of the streets. It will be a day for building your walls. On that day your boundary will be extended. It will be a day when they will come to you, from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, from Egypt even to the river, even from sea to sea and mountain to mountain, and the earth will become desolate because of her inhabitants on account of the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your scepter, the flock of your inheritance, which dwells by itself in the forest in the midst of the fruitful orchard. Let them feel in Bashan and Gilead as in the, I'm sorry, let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the ancient days, as in the days when you came out from the land of Egypt. I will show you wondrous deeds. Nations will see and be ashamed of all their might. They will put their hand on their mouth, their ears will be deaf. They will lick the dust like a serpent, like crawling things of the earth. They will come trembling out of their fortresses. To Yahweh our God they will come in dread, and they will be afraid before you. Who is a God like you, who forgives iniquity, and passes over the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? He does not hold fast to his anger forever, because he delights in loving kindness. He will again have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities and you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and loving kindness to Abraham, which you swore to our fathers from the days of old. All right. And now Luke 16. Now he was also saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a steward. And this steward was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called for him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. And the steward said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the stewardship away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and dig. I am ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the stewardship, people will take me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, One hundred baths of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, One hundred cores of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. And his master praised the unrighteous steward, because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves from the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it falls, I'm sorry, so that when it fails, they will take you into the eternal dwelling. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your heart. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time the good news of the kingdom of God is proclaimed, and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the letter of the law to fail. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. But a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now it happened that the poor man died, and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died, and was buried. And in Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out, and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you are not able, and none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I am asking you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have bought five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, They will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. All right. And that is our reading for this morning. Uh, We're going to go ahead and close out with another prayer from Valley of Vision. Vision. Wow. Having trouble talking this morning. And we're going to do this one. We're going to close out. Uh, This prayer is called Love Rest in God. My dear Lord, I depend wholly upon thee. Wean me from all other dependencies. Thou art my all. Thou dost overrule all, and delight in me. Thou art the foundation of goodness. How can I distrust thee? How be anxious about what happens to me? In the light of thy preciousness, the world and all its enjoyments are infinitely poor. I value the favor of men no more than pebbles. Amid the blessings I receive from thee, may I never lose the heart of a stranger. May I love thee, my benefactor, and all my benefits not forgetting that my greatest danger arises from my advantages. Produce in me self-despair that will make Jesus precious to me, delightful in all his offices, pleasurable in all his ways, and may I love his commands as well as his promises. Help me to discern between true and false love, the one consisting of supreme love love to thee, the other not, the former uniting thy glory and man's happiness, that they may become one common interest the latter disjointing and separating them both seeking the latter with neglect of the former teach me that genuine love is different and kind from that wrought by rational arguments or the motive of self-interest that such love is a pleasing passion affording joy to the mind where it is grant me grace to distinguish between the genuine and the false and to rest in thee who art all love amen all right well that is our reading for this morning Um, I hope you have a wonderful Friday and you're setting up for a really nice weekend. And as I always leave you, please do all you can do all you do for the glory of God. Every little thing. All right. God willing. I'll see you this evening. God bless. (music) Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This is the uh, Friday, December 2nd episode. And uh, like I said, the evening section. Um, I hope uh, you really have put into practice the doing all that you could for the glory of God. Um, I know I've tried. Um, I'm human, so I fail at it at times. But that needs to be one of our, it needs to be our primary focus in all things. Um, again, I hope, you, I hope you've had a good week. Uh, I hope, you, again, you're looking forward to a good weekend. And uh, let's go ahead and jump into it. We'll go ahead and get through our prayer and devotion and get into our message, talking about the full armor of God. So the prayer we're going to open with is called the Broken Heart. O Lord, no day of my life has passed that has not proved me guilty in thy sight. Prayers have been uttered from a prayerless heart. Praise has been often praiseless sound. My best services are filthy rags. Blessed Jesus, let me find a covert in thy appeasing wounds. Though my sins rise to heaven, thy merits soar above them. Though unrighteousness weighs me down to hell, thy righteousness exalts me to thy throne. All things in me call for my rejection, all things in thee plead my acceptance. I appeal from the throne of perfect justice to thy throne of boundless grace. Grant me to hear thy voice assuring me that by thy stripes I am healed, that thou wast bruised for my iniquities, that thou hast been made sin for me, that I might be righteous in thee, that my grievous sins, my manifold sins, are all forgiven, buried in the ocean of thy concealing blood. I am guilty, but pardoned, lost, but saved wandering but found sinning but cleansed give me perpetual broken-heartedness keep me always clinging to thy cross flood me every moment with descending grace open to me the springs of divine knowledge sparkling like crystal flowing clear and unsullied through my wilderness of life amen all right and now the evening portion of the december 1st or december 2nd 2022 Uh, devotion for Spurgeon's, Spurgeon's morning and evening. The text for it is Behold, All is Vanity, from Ecclesiastes 1.14. Nothing can satisfy the entire man but the Lord's love and the Lord's own self. Saints have tried to anchor in other roadsteads, but they have been driven out of such fatal refuges. Solomon, the wisest of men, was permitted to make experiments for us all and to do for us what we must not dare to do for ourselves. Here is his testimony in his own words. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do and behold all was vanity and vexation of spirit and there was no prophet under the sun vanity of vanities all is vanity what the whole of it vanity O favored monarch is there nothing in all thy wealth nothing in that wide dominion reaching from the river even to the sea nothing in palmyra's glorious palaces nothing in the house of the forest of lebanon and all thy music and dancing and wine and luxury, is there nothing, nothing, he says, but weariness of spirit. This was his verdict when he had trodden the whole round of pleasure, to embrace our Lord Jesus, to dwell in his love and be fully assured of union with him. This is all in all. Dear reader, you need not try other forms of life in order to see whether they are better than the Christians. If you roam the world around, You will see no sights like a sight of the savior's face if you could have all the comforts of life if you lost your savior you would be wretched but if you win christ then should you rot in a dungeon you would find it a paradise should you live in obscurity or die with famine you will yet be satisfied with favor and full of the goodness of the lord all right well we're going to continue on in our study in ephesians we're moving on into the full armor of God. Sorry, I need a little coffee there. Um, <clears throat> so over the last couple of nights, uh, we've spoken of the preparation for battle for the finally being strong and putting on the full, full armor so that we'll be able to stand firm and talking about what our struggle is going to be against. And again, in um, Ephesians 6, verse 13, Paul again implores us to take up the full armor of God so that we'll be able to resist in the evil days and having done everything to stand firm. So now we get into the portion here where Paul speaks of what that full armor of God is. And we're going to focus just on the first piece of that armor today. Um, And it's typically referred to as the girdle of truth. This is in Ephesians 6, verse 14. Now, I'm going to go ahead and start this off. I'm going to read throughout the, uh, let's see, I'm going to go, um, I'll read verses 14 through 17. That's really the part, though it does also go through, well, anyways, we'll do verses, uh, Ephesians 6, verses 14 through 17. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, <clears throat> having, t- having taken up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Also receive the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the, that's the full armor of God. It goes on then to talk about praying and the other things you need to do to be ready for battle. But, so we're going to, like I said, we're going to talk, and this is only part of um, Ephesians 6.14. uh, The part of the text we're going to deal with today is, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. So again, we kind of need to lead into this the same way we did um, last evening. Um, If you are truly saved, you are in a battle. Don't make any mistakes about that. Um, As I said last evening, the war was won at the cross through the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ for our sins. But we will battle Satan and his minions from our salvation until our glorification. And if you recall, I've tried to be clear from Paul's word in chapter 6, verse 12. The minions here that, that it speaks of, um, let's see, is uh, against the spiritual, um, where to talk about it, Ah, oh, the word "minions" was in in another translation, and Legacy Standard doesn't use that. But, anyways, we spoke of that in verse twelve. It talks about against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world forces of his darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And we and we talked about. And I don't know if I used the word before, um, but but again, those are the minions of Satan. Those are his minions. And and if you know me, you'll you'll get the joke. Um, I'm not really not trying to be funny, but these are not minions like the silly little yellow guys from Despicable Me and the Minions movies and all of that. These are the princes of hell. Okay, these are the princes of hell. Satan has a highly organized hierarchy of demonic agents to carry out his perfected plans. As I talked about last night, perfected over thousands and thousands of years. His schemes against all who would proclaim Christ and him crucified that's who we're fighting with. And as I indicated last evening, Paul in writing this letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians has shown us our position of being made holy and blameless before God in the first half of his letter. That's the first half. It's the doctrine. It shows our position where we've been positionally placed by the death and resurrection of Christ and his draping us in his holiness from him, him living a perfect life that that positionally places us because we are saved in a position of being holy and blameless before a just God. But then in the second half of the letter, he's shown us the Christian walk, our walk of sanctification, what our practice must be in this life if we are truly Christians, which when carried out, infused and guided and driven by the Holy Spirit, we end up growing towards being practically in practice, truly holy and blameless before God. Um, And I mentioned it; this was a while back, Um, That while we've been positionally placed and and you can't see my hands, but positionally placed, that position is higher. And I'm using my other hand to come up to it. That's what our walk should do. Our, Our Christian walk should grow and mature more and more so that our behavior becomes more and more holy and blameless as we have positionally been placed. And that worthy walk, that worthy walk, we see start in Ephesians 4, and then we see the different parts of it um, that works towards bringing our lives into balance with the position that Christ's death for our sins in our place and resurrection, his resurrection places us. And also, as I indicated last night, this walk will place us into constant battle with Satan. So we need to be prepared for that battle. We need to be strong in the Lord. We saw that in Ephesians 6.10 in the strength of his might, and goes on, and we have to put on the full armor of God, which will not come off. We saw that, the put on the full armor of God in verse 11. I told you that put on is to put on and not take off, and we talked about why. It's life or death, and you know, in in the regular battlefield, in the temporal battlefield, but in the spiritual battlefield, we can't afford to take off the full armor of God, because it makes us vulnerable. So tonight, we're going to discuss this first piece of this armor that Paul speaks of in this letter. And if you'll remember, I believe I indicated that when Paul went on to describe the armor, he was speaking of the typical armor of the Roman soldier of the age. And there have been many commentators who even posit the idea that he may have been looking at the armor of the Roman guard he was chained to. Um, You got to realize he wrote this when he was in prison. um, And actually, at this point, when he wrote Ephesians, I think he was actually I think he had actually moved from being in Israel or Palestine to actually being in Rome itself and being a prisoner there, and he was chained to a Roman soldier. Um, so, you know, some commentators um, put forward the idea that he might have just been looking at the armor, you know, of the on the guy next to him, chained next to him. But Paul goes on in in this section, the, the verses 14 through 17 um actually you'd even you could even include 18 the praying because praying is one of our weapons but he speaks of seven pieces of the full armor of God six of them being depicted by the roman soldier's armor including his sword and the other being um one of the two weapons that we christians have for this battle the sword of truth and prayer but god willing we'll get to that stuff over the next couple of evenings but today, we're like I said, we're going to speak of the girdle of truth. So again, <clears throat> the beginning of verse 14, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. This is speaking of the girdle of truth. So this first speak, piece we're speaking of would be the girdle of truth. And he start, says, Stand firm, therefore. So again, we're exhorted to stand firm. And remember what, how I spoke of last evening. This is the standing firm and holding your position, no matter what goes down around you, no matter who falls behind, who drops back, who retreats, where to hold, hold the line, where to hold our position. And then Paul goes on to talk about the armor. And if we wear the full armor of God and are strong in the Lord, we'll be able to hold that line. So a girdle back in the first century was what a perp- person used to cinch up or gather their clothing even their armor around them tighter. So the standard dress for men of that time was a loose tunic, which in many cases came to the knees and was open at the bottom. They didn't wear pants and the tunic didn't hug their bodies. It was loose, um, partially because think of the environment they lived in, how uncomfortable it would have been if it had been tight, like half the clothing that's out there today in our society and as tight as that is. But needless to say, it being that loose, it made going into battle with an ungirded tunic, a risky proposition at best for a couple of reasons. So um, when you read the story of the prodigal son, actually, I I believe if I remember, right, um, that was in our reading for yesterday. Um, And it speaks of the father when the prodigal son, he sees the prodigal son coming home, he grabbed up his robes and took off running. Because they would impede him if he left them down around the ankles, or down around his knees, even. So this is this is a problem. As a soldier, you've got as as a warrior here trying to hold your position, you've got to be able to shift and move. I'm not talking retreat, but you've got to be able to move back and forth. You've got to be able to hold a stand, a firm stance that's still mobile and flexible, but firm. And you can't do that if your cloth clothing is all tangled about you. Um, in a lot of cases, when these guys would gird up is what they would do is they would reach, but I, I know this going to sound goofy, but, but this, this is really what they would do. They would reach behind them to the back of their tunic. So down between their knees, and they would pull that back portion up to the front and up to their waist and the girdle, the, the, the belt, the big belt would overlap it. And would hold that. So that would bind them up tighter, actually making it easier for them to maneuver and pull their clothing in tighter. So it made it easier for them to move, easier for them to be agile, to be able to avoid weapon strikes, arrows, you name it. Um, And for them, but then for them to be able to stand firm as well. But there's another part to it as well. The warfare of that era was very much a hand to hand affair. Like I said, the other, they got in belly to belly and it was down, it was in close and it was down and dirty. Any bit of loose gear flopping around and hanging loose, loose shirt, loose tunic, loose anything that the opponent could grab a hold of could mean the soldier's ultimate defeat, their death. This was why the soldier girded themselves for battle or even just for running as I already spoke of, as it reduces impediments and risk. So in their world, the girdle was a broad belt that brought all of that clothing and armor in tight to their body. In a lot of cases, the girdle actually would affix to the breastplate and pull the breastplate in tight. Um, And in some cases, the girdle might even have, um, as it got later in armor years, it might even have armored, some kind of armored skirt, even if it's just a heavy leather, but it it would pull this all in tight and snug it up on the body where one, it would move with you and not chafe. And it would not flap, and it would hold tight to protect, not leaving gaps, but that it also was not out there for somebody to grab hold of, and and thus gain gain leverage over you, which put your life at risk. That's what the girdle does. So um, think of it in today's terms. When I used to play football, my coaches, and don't get me wrong, I played defense, and my coaches still would make me run laps and if if you ever did football at all you hated having to run laps because you always had to do it at the end of practice when you were wore out already you'd already been two hours running around in pads and hitting each other and everything else but would make me run laps if I did not have my uniform tucked in and cinched tight so that the opposing players could not grab my uniform and stop me from tackling the opposing ball carrier. Um, I played defensive end outside linebacker kind of thing. So I was looking to hit somebody. I wanted to tackle somebody, but believe me, they were going to grab any and everything on me they could that I left loose to stop me from getting to whoever had the ball, whether it was a quarterback, running back, a receiver, you name it. They wanted to stop me. So I couldn't leave stuff loose. That's what we're talking about here. If you've ever watched real wrestling, real wrestling, collegiate type wrestling, you'll note that the standard uniform is the singlet, which is very, very tight to the body. That's for the same reason. It's to not give your opponent the ability. They're grappling in close quarters. If you ever seen it, you know that. And neither wants to give the other any extra piece to grab onto, any way to get any extra leverage. That's what we're talking about here. And that's what that girdle is to pre- prevent. And this is what Paul's talking about here when he's speaking of girding your loins. It's that girdle girding your loins. I mean, think about it. You're pulling your turd, tunic through, and I'm Again, not trying to be, but pulling the tunic through and pulling it up to the waist and putting the belt around it, that girds up your loins. That's what he's speaking of. It's tightening everything up so that the enemy, so that Satan has nothing to get a hold on to sway you from holding our position in the army of God. And we haven't even talked about the truth part here yet. The Greek here for truth, um, having girded your loins with truth, The Greek here is aletheia. It's basic meaning, as Dr. MacArthur says it, the content of that which is true. In this case, we're talking about the truth of the gospel, the truth of the scriptures. That is the girdle being referred to here. If we are not girded about by this truth, we'll suffer that that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4.14 that we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and de- deceitful scheming. If we're good about th- with truth, we don't get jerked around by these prosperity and doc- uh, uh, people, these prosperity preachers. We're not jerk- jerked around by the Joyce Myers and the Beth Moores out there. Um, we don't get jerked around by those guys. We don't get led around by the guys Um, who some of them that give you just enough truth to catch your attention and suck you in, but are truly heads of the synagogue of Satan. Satan's going to grab onto that edge and cause us trouble in the battle. If we are not girded with the truth, we will be among those who Paul speaks of in 1 Timothy 4.1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. I'm sorry. That's what a big part of the liberal Methodist church is spewing doctrines of demons. Now, um, a lot of the Episcopalian church has gone that way. Um, there are groups that, that claim to be Southern Baptist that are going the same way. Um, again, guys like Kenneth Copeland and all them. Oh yeah, they're there. But if we're not girded up with truth, we'll be among those Paul speaks of. And we will become victims to that which we spoke of last week. In verses, uh, let's see, Ephesians 6, verse 11b and 12, um, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We've got to be girded in the truth of God's word. And the way we do that is to be in God's word. Like I said, a couple of weeks ago, 8% total of people who profess to be Christians actually read their Bible. Do you think that's enough to be girded in truth? If you do, I got a bridge to sell you because it's not, it's not even close. We need to be in it and we need to be in it every day and I'm not saying that to try to hammer you but we've got to be in the word of God every day that is fact it's not my opinion that is fact you may not like it guess what christian up and do it but however the greek here for truth that aletheia can also refer to a manifestation of truthfulness the attitude of truthfulness the implication for that would be here is to gird yourself up with truthfulness in your walk, in your life, in our walk, in our life, in our behavior, that we are to tuck away all hypocrisy and deceit and dishonesty that Satan can grab a hold of. We tuck it away and we gird it up with truth. If we gird ourselves with this truthfulness, there is again nothing to be grasped by Satan during our battle with him. As Dr. MacArthur says of this, When the mind is renewed in commitment to God's truth, there is empowerment for the Christian soldier to become a living and holy sacrifice that pleases God. And finally, thinking about the girdle of truth. Paul speaks of it first. Pastor Jay has talked about this more than a few times um, over the last couple of weeks. Um, He makes clear that, you know, as I've said before as well, Paul doesn't say stuff just to say stuff. If he puts it in there, it's important. But he also makes clear, and I absolutely agree with him, that if Paul puts something in a particular order, there's a reason it's in particular order. So we see here the first piece of armor is the girdle of truth. And he spoke of it first. The girdle of truth is what binds together and holds tight the rest of the full armor of God. It is that foundational garment, that foundational piece of the full armor of God that everything else hooks together and centers around. And like I said, the only way we can be girded with truth, with the truth of God's word, is to be in it constantly, not just reading through it, but meditating on it, studying it, firming ourselves up, so we're not dragged to and fro by winds of doctrine, so that we're not overcome by doctrines of demons, so that Satan doesn't grab a hold of the edges of our armor and green leverage over us and tug us out of position so that we can truly stand firm And hold the line. All right. So I would pray for you. And I would beg you. That you truly. Stand firm. Therefore, having girded your loins with truth. All right. We're going to go ahead and close out in prayer. We're going to close with the six day evening prayer. The mediator. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hope in thy word. There we see thee, not on a fearful throne of judgment, but on a throne of grace, waiting to be gracious and exalted in mercy. There we hear thee saying, Not depart ye cursed, but look unto me, and be ye saved. For I am God, and there is none else. They that know thy name put their trust in thee. How many, now glorified in heaven, and what numbers living on earth, are thy witnesses, O God, exemplifying in their recovery from the ruins of the fall, the freeness, riches, and efficacy of thy grace. All that were ever saved were saved by thee, and will through eternity exclaim, Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. For thy mercy and truth's sake thou hast chosen to transact all thy concerns. I'm sorry. Thou hast chosen to transact all thy concerns with us through a mediator, in whom all fullness dwells, and who is exalted to be prince and savior. To him we look, on him we depend, through him we are justified. May we derive relief from his sufferings, without ceasing to abhor sin, or to long after holiness, feel the double efficacy of his blood, tranquilizing and cleansing our consciences. Delight in His service as well as in His sacrifice. Be constrained by His love to live not to ourselves but to Him. Cherish a grateful and cheerful disposition, not murmuring and repining if our wishes are not indulged, or because some trials are blended with our enjoyments, but sensible of our desert and impressed with the number and greatness of Thy benefits. May we bless and praise Thee at all times. Amen. All right. Well, I hope you have a good rest of your evening and again, I hope you have a good weekend. And um uh, even though we're going to be gone for a wedding, um I will have my laptop with me. I do definitely um plan <clears throat> on having shows out there Saturday and Sunday. So our episodes out there Saturday and Sunday. So uh definitely do my best to do so. Um and again, I hope you have a wonderful evening and a wonderful weekend. And God willing, I will see you tomorrow morning.